The industry, money, bitches, hate, but I dare you to try to take a fucking thing off my plate. The industry like, wait, but in the streets we like, get them. <laughs> 17 up in that thing, catch them sleeping and hit them. The industry, if you ain't got a strong mind, the industry will break you down, it's a matter of time. The industry, vultures with nothing to feast on. See me, I'm getting my beast on. Industry, stay in the dirt, play in the dirt, test the wrong one in the industry and you will get hurt. I'm not an industry artist. I'm an artist in the industry. So I do what the fuck I want because nobody can finish me. I was trying to think of a tasteful way to go into this episode and I don't know. I thought the deaf poetry that DMX did in the early 2000s, uh, talking about the industry was as good a reason or as good a way as any to, to get into it. I mean, I'm definitely going to bring a baseball bat to my next in-person audition. No, Steve, we talked about that. That's why you didn't get the last one. Oh, well. Even if it was a baseball biopic. He he made it seem like it was a good idea. He made a lot of things seem like it's a good idea. Um, And I guess we should just get into it. Uh, This is the Song Topsy Report, everyone, and welcome. Uh, We dissect bad, bizarre, and noteworthy music and occasionally do um, retrospectives and in remembrances, I guess, of artists, or at least this is our first time doing it. Uh, I'm your host, Nick Breedier. Yeah, I was going to say, we, and I was going to say, we haven't really done the remembrances part before. I don't know if you don't rewrite our history, Steve Trollinger. <laughs> yes, I'm revisionist historying as we speak. Uh, no, so I, I think there's a reason, there, there's a few reasons we haven't done an episode like this. Um, primarily just because, you know, we dissect bad, bizarre, noteworthy music, and even if you know, on a good day, we're just kind of gently roasting songs that entertain us. A, DMX, who obviously uh, died very recently, we're a little bit late to it, unfortunately, uh, uh, to discussing this because we had a, our previous episode had already been recorded at the time uh, DMX uh, passed away. So we didn't really have time to talk about it until this episode. But no, the other thing is DMX didn't come up very often because for the most part, he was a fantastic rapper. There were very few songs that I could think of, unless we truly wanted to go just in the noteworthy section. Well, now we, you, you and Mike used, and I think you've talked about this before. You and Mike used him as your test. I as forgot. Your show I test. forgot if I had told you that, but yes. Uh, so, if anyone's been listening to this podcast for a long time, uh, you technically have not heard the very first episode we did when Mike and I were had first set up this podcast, and Steve was not even a glimmer in our eyes as a special guest. 140 episodes nope. later. No, my that my child soul was still in heaven waiting for my earth body to be born. I know, I know, and here you are. Uh, but yes, to, when we came up with the idea to do this podcast, but we didn't really even know if the format would work, we literally did like a play test of it where we recorded a test episode, and the first song we used was a DMX song. He was the very technically first artist uh, that we covered. And Steve, unfortunately, I looked for it. I don't think I still have that recording. Oh. Uh, but the song that we did, I suppose this is as interesting a place as any to start. Um, the song we chose was one of DMX's lesser known ones, but we chose it mostly because, uh, well, I'll, I'll just be honest, it was mostly because of the first few lyrics. Uh, the song was Bring Your Whole Crew by DMX. And there's no remorse. I got blood on my hands and there's no remorse. I got blood on my 
that was how it started. Um, on the chorus of Bring Your Whole Crew is, I just love it when a, let's say, buddy brings his whole crew. It's just a bigger piece of cake for me to chew a hole through. And mwah. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, you, yeah, we couldn't possibly talk about anything that DMX ever did. He's just too good. Well, that's actually uh, what we kind of wanted to do on this week's episode. We wanted to just, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's a B-side. We want to give a little bit more information about DMX that you might not uh, have known otherwise and go over kind of some of his, some of his greatest hits, some of the uh, most amazing things he did or was a part of. Um, as well as his impact on popular culture. Yes, yes, because what an impact. I gotta say though, uh, I was I, I I apparently had done some research on DMX for that very first episode we did, but I truly dove a little bit deeper than I did that first time, what four years ago at this point, uh, and holy crap, his upbringing was not great. It was rough. It was rough, but he wrote it. It's only like if, he's a rough rider. He, you could almost go so far as to say, Steve, that yes, he was a rough rider. Um, he was actually born Earl Simmons in Mount Vernon in 1970 here in New York City. Um, ironically enough, he was born in the year of the dog. Obviously, that had uh, 100% to do with his eventual persona. He, uh, he he always kept a Chinese lunar calendar nearby. I remember that about him. <laughs> yes, yes, it was what he was best known for. Uh, no, actually, so a lot of a lot of the research I did on his early childhood actually came from a GQ article by Jeff Weiss. So unless otherwise noted... Um, that it came from that article and it was very well written. But what a career he had. He was the first living rapper to have two albums go platinum the same year. And he was the first artist at all to have his first five studio albums debut at number one. I don't know if that's been broken since, but he was the first one to do it. Um, but going back to his childhood, it was rough. He was uh, he was raised in a Jehovah's Witness household. Um, he was frequently sick as a child, plagued by allergies and uh, bronchial asthma. He would often wake up in the middle of the night, caked in sweat and suffocating. ER trips were a regular occurrence. He's, he was like Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt had asthma? Oh, yeah. You don't know that about Teddy Roosevelt? Teddy Roosevelt also got blood on his dick because he fucked your corpse? Uh, well, I mean... He, I don't he know may what have done look, that, I don't actually. Know. The Panama Canal, look, a lot Nick, of shit went down. Nick, I don't know what happened during the charge of San Juan Hill, and there's no living memory as to what might or might not have occurred that day. Teddy, gone. give it to you. Um, but no, getting back to his terrible child... Bully! <laughs> getting back to his terrible childhood. One time, he had such a bad breathing uh, fit that he actually stopped breathing at one point. As a pre-adolescent, he was hit by a drunk driver and nearly died, and his mom turned down the settlement money because, as Jehovah's Witnesses, they did not accept charity. So he did not get any of the <laughs> of the settlement money. Uh, that's not charity. That money was earned. It, it was. He earned that money getting hit by that car. It was by your son almost dying. Um, and also, as uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, they did not celebrate Christmas or birthdays. Beatings were habitual. This is, once again, going back to that GQ article. Misbehaving meant his mother, her boyfriends, and sometimes the mailman would rain down blows with belts, extension cords, hangers, and brooms. Sometimes she'd curse at him, screaming, you ain't shit just like your father, which... It sounds like such a cliched thing from like a pot boiler, like noir thing, but apparently she literally yelled at him. And his father, by the way, was largely absentee. He was an artist who painted watercolors at streets uh, of street scenes uh, to sell at uh, like local fairs and malls. And by the time he was uh, in elementary school, his father moved and was largely absent for the rest of his life. That is not when you think of the you know the usual absent father. 
aspect of person's psyche. You don't think that that father is absent because he's painting watercolors. No, it's not usually it's not usually the image people get in their mind. But uh, but yeah, yeah, watercolor painter, and apparently DMX was pretty good at painting too. With his words, oh, <laughs> his very offensive words. But there was a poetry to it. We will get into listeners. We have so much so much DMX audio we want to share. Um, but what? But truly, truly, yes. He he painted. He pa- red was the only color he seemed to have in his word painting arsenal. But he painted broad strokes with them. He was also apparently in at er- at an early age. Uh, he took IQ tests that revealed he was apparently very intelligent, several grades like higher than where he was, and he was described as uh, highly bright and manipulative on a report card which is a wonderfully backhanded way to say someone is smart. Yeah. No, it's like, yeah, he's really Machiavellian. Okay, I get it. I'm an asshole. Whatever, guys. <laughs> uh, but so much of his bio is just him going in and out of group homes, um, getting involved in crime. He was uh, addicted to crack by the age of 14. He spent most of his... He didn't really spend much time in high school. It was mostly um, robbing people, stealing cars, stealing dogs. He became a big fan of like pit bulls and dogs at the time, hence actually kind of where his persona of the dog came from. Uh, yeah. In in addition to his uh, fascination with the Zodiac, as Steve accurately brought up earlier. Obvious, obvious to even the most casual observer. But he spent so much time in and out of jail uh, in his teens and his 20s. Actually, I, was, I, I don't want to bury the lead too much, but he was in and out of jail 30 times over the course of his life, serving various sentences. Um, but it wasn't until his early 20s he started getting into music, where he seemed to have a natural talent for it. And by the late 80s, he started rapping, um, had his major and label. And definitely the lived experience for it. Truly. Like, when you... One thing I always found about DMX was there was a certain degree of authenticity to every time he said, like, he would fuck you up or, like, how tough his childhood was. And it felt real. It felt believable. And then as I read his bio, I I fully understand why. Like, he was truly in survival mode from a very young age. Yes, and we'll say this this semi-up front. uh, He's complicated. He he was a complicated man, so there's... And as with all men and women, there are good things and bad things, and the more complicated you are, the more those kind of stand out. But, um, but yeah, just, just for later flavor. Yes, we will... There will be many uh, peaks and valleys in the roller coaster of DMX's life. He, uh... I mean, he was king of the world, I would say, from between, like, 1998 and 2004 was when he scored the majority of his biggest hits when he got his uh, Grammy nominations. He won surprisingly few awards, actually. I was surprised. Um, But that was also when he was like a leading man in some movies, actually, including uh, Cradle to the Grave, Exit Wounds, and Romeo Must Die. Yes, and how many of those starred Jet Li? (laughs) Half of them. Such a weird pairing, even to this day. I would watch, and, and I think... In a couple of them, too, it was Jet Li, DMX, and Tom Arnold, if I remember correctly. Tom Arnold. But yeah, I would I would see those on uh, like T high heavily edited, obviously, but uh, on like TNT on like a Saturday afternoon, and I'd be like, "Why is DMX in this movie?" With oh, he's pretty good. <laughs> but you recognize DMX even at that young impressionable? Oh wait, you're older than me. 
at that old impressionable yeah, age. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. But it's funny you say heavily edited. One thing I also realized, because uh, Steve mentioned, and I did the same uh, when, when DMX finally uh, passed away, I spent a lot of time re-listening to some of his discography, and I realized how much of my childhood, my prime DMX listening to days, were spent hearing the heavily edited radio versions, and I truly did not know what he was actually saying uh, in any of those songs, because they were edited essentially to the point of incoherence. Yeah, eventually, you there are certain songs on his uh, discography that if you edit them for radio play, just the song is two, two and a half minutes of barking and the word what, and, like, maybe some articles like thes and ands. Um, but, Steve, I, I I have to play a little bit of this. It's, like, his biggest, one of his biggest songs, if not his biggest song. But the song X Gonna Give It To You" has such a large place in my life. Like, I, I, my girlfriend can attest to this much better, but I have this weird tick where if I'm hearing a song that has the same beats per minute or is in the same key as another song, I automatically start mashing up the songs together. And I don't know when this started. I don't know what it's a sign that I have a problem with. But X Gonna Give It To You is basically my default song for that. It simply meshes with everything. But even in its distilled form, it's so good. Hearing. It's what you hearing. Listen. It's what you hearing. Listen. It's what you hearing. Listen. Give it to you. Fuck wait for you to get it on your own. X go deliver to you. Knock, knock, open up the door to spread. If the not stop, my problem stainless still. Go hard getting busy with it. But I got such a good heart that I make the motherfucker wonder if you get it. Damn right, can I do it again? Cause I am like so I got to win. Break bread with the enemy. It also made me feel like such an old man where I'm like, God, rap was better back in the day. That's when it was real music, not this mumbled rap Migos nonsense. I don't know why you're making like a funny voice. That's that's a thing I say on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That was my uh, listeners. That was my Steven Trollinger impression voice. I don't know why you put that weird funny voice in front of it like that. It's a perfectly cromulent thing to say out loud to a group of people who are listening to too much Drake. <laughs> well, it's because you be- like DMX. E- I- and you know, it's not just DMX, but I just feel like a lot of rap in this time period, like they felt invested in what they were rapping. Like DMX seems like he's literally he is literally chomping at the bit. He is one of the only he he I think uh I think Trevor Noah said this, but DMX was so good. He was such a good rapper. He could bark in a song and nobody thought it was weird or out of place. They just accepted it. Like, yeah. oh yeah, this is an adult man just barking like a dog. Well, it's interesting you bring up that thing about how you hear music because there is, there's, uh, there are many times when people, when I have cause to play music from my phone, either in the car on a drive or like at work or something. And oftentimes people will comment, even people who have known me for a very, very long time. And I, anybody who uses this word automatically sounds like they're being a dillweed with their head up their butts. But, I have a rather eclectic taste in music, and that's not to make me sound cool, because I know it did. Steve, can you furrow uh, your brow a little bit? Your monocle is falling out. There it is. Ah, yeah. yes, thank you. Um, but I do. Like, even I'll be in the car, and uh, we're listening to music, and something will come on, and my wife will take a moment and turn and look at me and go, who are you <laughs> sometimes? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I just like it. 
So I, I don't like I don't listen to the music the way that people other people listen to music where they're like, what's your favorite album? I don't have a favorite album. What's your favorite band? I don't have a favorite band. I like what I hear and then I save it forever. So when it comes to me and music, typically what happens in my head is uh, how I pick music I like is any song that I hear that I can immediately plug into a fight scene or slow motion walk or an incongruous humorous scene, I like that song. Like that's why I end up liking some of some songs despite their content. Like there's a lot of DMX songs whose content I obviously will never repeat and uh, I may even have a problem with from time to time. But his, both the lyricism and the beat behind it is so infectious that like in my head, I can't imagine hearing uh, like Party Up without hearing uh, or uh, 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 get it on the floor without hearing somebody doing like fucking martial arts moves to a group of people or like walking in slow motion towards the screen and then like one person falling down in slow motion very hilariously. Like it's that's that's where his music lays its eggs in my brain. Uh, and in fact, I have a clip. Uh, there's a uh, robot chicken clip that I gave you uh, where the uh, good folks at Robot Chicken actually did did what basically happens in my head when I hear music. Uh, and I have that clip right here. Ben! Let's get it going! Oh, thanks very much! Mama gave a two slides! Remind me again, very specifically, why this was the clip you wanted to bring to the DMX so, R.I.P. episode. Uh, because they uh, they used what is very obviously it, the song "Get It on the Floor," but it is uh, you know even though it is an old swim show, they can't exactly use the original, the actual original song. And you know, it being the show that it is, they thought it'd be funny to take that song and change the lyrics so that it's about Voltron, which is what. For people who obviously aren't watching this, it is Voltron being served in a uh, breakdancing competition by Giant Monster. And that is the stuff where, like, if I hear Get It On The Floor, that is, like, in my head, that is what is like, what is, I like this. What can I put it to that is fun or cool? Like, because so, everything is cinematic in my head. I was going to say, Steve, you seem to, have, like, you seem to have, like, a director's eye. Like, you hear the music and it plays the... I, See, that's the same way that works with me. Like, I imagine if I hear music, I play the movie in my head. And I don't know if that's what everyone does when they hear music. I don't think so. No, no, I don't. I don't think so either. But yeah, that's they actually. And there was a uh, they this, as you can see, it says the original audio for reruns. They actually had to change the song. So they just came up with a completely original song. I don't I wasn't able to find out if it's because. DMX didn't want them to use the parody, but it, it is a parody, so I don't know that they legally had to get his permission. But the, as if you watch the reruns of this episode, you don't hear this song anymore. They had to take it out. Interesting. But yeah, that's so DMX. Like anyone who watched Deadpool, like the scene where Deadpool uh, towards the end of the movie starts walking towards the camera in slow motion with the whole cast. This is set to X can give it to because it is a song that is made for that kind of cinema in my head. And in apparently in the head of the director of that movie. 
I've had several people in wildly disparate friend groups say that X Gone Give It To Ya, that song is on their workout playlist because it's universal. It taps into some part of, it doesn't matter your age, sexual orientation, country of origin, it taps into the same part of the human, the human brain that gets you pumped. Yeah. Is it on your workout playlist, Steve? Uh, if I had one, it would be. Well, I mean, on the note of DMX's kind of position in pop culture, I think, and I, I, I alluded to this earlier, for me, it was, it's the fact that his songs are so easy to mesh with other songs. And there's a whole, like, thriving, <laughs> I was going to say black market. There's, the, there's so much, so many DMX-specific mashups because his songs go so well together, especially X Gone Give It To Ya. Dark, they, call, they call it, wait, do they call it Dark Market X? Dark Market X. Steve, I don't... I, I didn't know when I was going to break this to you, but uh, do you know where the name DMX actually came from? No, where? When, so, when DMX was getting started, um, he... Uh, and this is from that same GQ article I referenced earlier. Um, he'd become a fledgling master of the beatbox, taking his rap name from the Oberheim DMX digital drum machine that defined the percussive sound of the old-school hip-hop. So he may have he may have changed what it stands for, but it was the drum machine uh, well, that he got the name from. For the purposes of this in memoriam, I'm going to go with my interpretation that he lived with and preferred. <laughs> um, but the mashup, w- w- one of one of the most well known mashups is uh, taking the classic childhood song of Thomas the Tank Engine and meshing it with X Gon Give It To You. <laughs> Um, but Steve, can I say something? Can I say something here before you absolutely. say Absolutely. I desperately hope that the peop- that there are all sorts of people that we just introduced that to. God, I hope so. Because nothing make nothing. I I can't. Re- you showed that to me. I think uh the first time i ever saw it and it made me happy for like two days straight so oh, i it really hope to that, make me happy yeah i really hope that we introduced this to somebody's life who had no idea what it was until now and they are grateful to us and to all of those listeners you're welcome however when i was just doing research for this week's episode i discovered new ones that i was hitherto unaware of that are just as fantastic such as i mother x go give it to you fuck me with everything it's truly wonderful i remember that episode i remember that episode where magic could dispel turned dmx into an actual dog yeah yeah that was one of those uh, episodes of ducktales that they only aired once you had to either tape it or you yeah. never see it again and i honestly i don't know li- listening to all these is it just that is, is it the 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 like a gloveness of the of the beat to that song i don't know if it is just he hit upon like a universal beat that can be just dropped into anything or if it's or what, but like the fact that it works so well with all sorts of different songs, especially that, especially the Thomas, the tank engine one is Tom. Like it's a, is it, it's a chicken in the egg scenario. Did Thomas, the tank engine come up with a beat so great that DMX magically conjured it out of 
out of like the ether and used it for himself? Or did DMX conjure the beat and then Thomas the Tang Engine reached into the future from the past and then pulled it back to itself? But Steve, you mentioned that there's certain lyrics that you would never repeat that DMX said. And I'm assuming it's not just the many, many times he said the N-word, obviously, but some of his more, no. um, I don't know if we just want to say homophobic or just generally no, mean. No, they're homophobic. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying they're not just limited to that. But you, that was If certainly... you try to play Where the Hood At, you can only play verse two. You can't play verse one and three. Like, that, that song is... That song is maybe a single verse playable in public. The entire first verse is quite possibly one of the most homophobic screeds like I've ever like. He doesn't let up on the subject. Like even Eminem's, even Eminem's like homophobic lyrics weren't overt. Like Eminem never came out and said in like verse one of a of a lyric, "I don't like gay people and I don't understand them." And that's all the first verse of. Uh, where the hood at is. Yeah, it's not just one punchline at one verse. He truly spends like three quarters of the first verse just harping on the subject, which is awful because it's otherwise like a real typically catchy DMX song, but then you're just feeling very uncomfortable Yeah, like the entire time. Because it's, it's not just gay people, it's also uh, some transphobia thrown in there as well for good measure. Yes, at the end, yeah, at the end of the first verse. I remember that now. But it's also, but as you said, it, that's where DMX is, for me, he's kind of a weird, he's in this weird, like, between spot where I, like, the music is so good, but I'm disgusted by the lyrics, and I can't, I can't, I try to separate the two, and I don't know if I should, and I don't know, like, I'm, DMX, also, I should, I should note, he's one of those, he seems like one of those songs that, like, look, let's not let's not uh, dance around the subject here nick and i are fairly white guys on the on the spectrum and the scale we're pretty up there when i was like a teenager and i had this you know like had this song this was like a song i these were like muses or, or songs rather that i didn't necessarily want i felt weird listening to them because i felt like it's it really for me should i be enjoying this i i don't like i definitely can't play it out loud at any time ever but I, I feel sort of like tr a little transgressive listening to it. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's, if it's cool, if I do, I, you know, so I, like I had a lot of that weird shit, weird neurotic shit going on in my head. But the fact that like someone thought to put this song, or thought to put like Where the Hood at to introducing Bernie Sanders in like a 2016 campaign event. It's like, I'm sure I'm glad they cut out all the lyrics. They just used the chorus because I don't think Bernie would have appreciated that. Oh, my God. Could you imagine the damage control <laughs> if, if Bernie Sanders had to explain away DMX lyrics? Yeah. It's like, all right, well, the, the third verse, third verse of Party Up is my personal favorite. Let's add up all the factors. You're whack. You're twisted. Your girl's a hoe. You're broke. The kid ain't yours. And everybody knows. Actually, before we get too far off the subject, I do want to let the listeners know, uh, Steve, you're mentioning how your wife gets sometimes surprised by your eclectic taste in music. I got to say, listeners, the first time when Steve and I used to work at the same place, um, Steve at one point, A, I was just surprised that he knew so many DMX songs 
like every single lyric in them. But Steve, I remember at one point, I do not remember the context. Which I did not sing. I did not sing every single lyric. Let me say that up front. Oh my God. The, the, he just screamed the N-word at the top of his lungs. It was very uncomfortable for a long time. No, he did not do that. Um, but I do remember, Steve, at one point, I do not remember the context. I do not remember the wonderful way we got to this. But at some point, you were doing um, Party Up as Dr. Phil. And it was wonderful. And I don't remember why. I just remember you as Dr. Phil telling me that I was whack and twisted and my girl was a hoe. You're whack, you're twisted, and your girl's a hoe. <laughs> and you're fat because you eat too much. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that DMX lyric, but I'm sure that was also related somehow. So before we move on from the subject of his impact in uh, popular culture, Steve, this is something I don't know if you're aware of. There was a video game that came out in 2003 for PlayStation 2 called Def Jam Vendetta. Now, Def Jam was the record label. Yes, I am aware of this yes. game. Uh, Def Jam was the record label that DMX spent a large chunk of his career as a part of. Um, but they did a hip-hop wrestling game. I which... sucked at that game. Did you actually play Def Jam Vendetta? I really sucked at that game. I did, and I did not. And again... I didn't know who most of the people I was playing as were, to be completely honest. So you did not know when you could play as DMX in this PlayStation 2 era game truly what you were getting? I did not. Um, well, to the listeners, uh, if you wanted to know what DMX was like in a video game, here's some audio, but you can, if you search for it online, you should be able to see it pretty easily. Uh, here's a little bit of DMX and truly find the video because it is just the best PlayStation 2 era graphical representation of what DMX looks like as he beats up, in this case, Redman in the wrestling ring. Y'all really think this cat can handle the dog? He's in a wrestling ring, twisting uh, Redman's neck. Corkscrew Hurricane Rana from the Dark Man X. Stop backing like a bitch, dog. God, I want to isolate that audio. <laughs> but hey, Nick, how, uh, hey, happy happy birthday! Stop backing like a bitch, dog. Boy, boy, Nick, I sure am glad I invited you to my nephew's bar mitzvah. Um, I'm glad too, Steve. But this was this was from like when he was at his, his truly his peak, uh, and he spent a lot of his time. I mean, he was always kind of still relevant in varying degrees in the zeitgeist, but um. His music started coming more sporadically later on in his life. Um, he continued to serve jail time well into. Uh, actually, if you go even if you even just go uh, to his Wikipedia page, the amount of space dedicated to his various jail sentences, like they have to break it down by year periods. There were the, the times he was arrested between eight, 1986 and 1988, the time he was arrested between 1998 and 1999, 2000 to 2005, 2007, 2008 to 2011. And some of these charges were just like marijuana possession kind of bullshit stuff. But then there's a whole bunch of like animal cruelty charges because he apparently kept a lot of dogs and not the most humane conditions. Um, there were times of carjacking, of robbery. Um, so he spent a lot of his, uh, his later years troubled, let's say. But he had actually got... And I... Oh, go ahead. I, I distinctly remember one of those, one of those jaunts made news because the, the prison he was in was instituting a hilariously, uh, ass-backwards and tone-deaf punishment for their prisoners where they were making them all wear pink jumpsuits 
it was even at the this is like 10 some odd years ago even then i you know you you could be like okay i don't understand why pink is a i guess if they are also macho this would be bad for them mentally but i honestly don't i it, even if that's your idea of punishment your idea of punishment is also like very very misogynist. I was going to say, yeah. Like, it's more reflective on the people initiating the punishment than the prisoners themselves. And and DMX in the pink jumpsuit, I would still, like, I, I don't know how he felt about it, but, like, I looked at him and I was like, yeah, he looks like DMX. He's just wearing a pink jumpsuit. Yeah. I, I would I would not... Uh, I would not necessarily think to say anything about his pink jumpsuit. It just happens to be what he's wearing. Steve, I've said this many, many times, but you would not make it as a prison warden. Look, we all have certain failings. But yeah, so the most recent prison sentence he served, he got out of jail January 25th of 2019, and he was re-signed to Def Jam Records. I don't know if he actually recorded music that we haven't heard yet, but um, but in addition, he spent a lot of time in rehab, including 2002, 2017, and then 2019. He had actually recently come out of rehab and seemed to have been doing well, um, but unfortunately, then April 2nd, I believe, uh, yes, April 2nd is when he appeared to have had a heart attack from an alleged drug overdose, although even at the time of this recording, I don't know if they've conclusively determined, but uh, he spent basically time in a coma and vegetative state and then finally passed away uh, April 9th, which was um, how long ago at this point? A week ago. So yeah, a few days. it's uh, I don't know. A, a part of me also kind of wanted to not do this, um, like discuss it immediately. Like I wanted there to be some retrospective, I guess. But even then, I don't know how much time has to pass. But uh, and are we really the people to do it? Well, that's the other very big question. Are we the people to do it? However, as as uh, as complicated as he was, he truly was an influential figure who overcame. I. I I'm sure I could think of other people, but in uh, offhand, I cannot think of anyone who had a deck more stacked against them in terms of what life gave them, and then to be able to have a wildly successful career out of it—a troubled one, but still yeah, very influential. You can like uh, reading reading through all those charges. I was I was reading through all of them. Is like a lot of it was like you know child support payments and oh yeah he had the, 15 children with nine women yeah the the you know the animal thing was also uh, you know that's i don't know what that was about that's that's never that's never a good thing to get labeled uh the and then at the end they are the tax fraud because you know why not that's <laughs> he just didn't pay income taxes for five years that's that's rich man crime right there <laughs> that's when you know you've made it uh, so there was all that, but at the same time, if you go online, especially now after he's passed, they've all sort. There's all sorts of other retrospectives. You can find all sorts of people telling nice DMX stories, the time they met DMX and how nice he was, and they hung out. And uh, I, I remember Cradle to the Grave. Uh, I just read this one a, a, a little while ago. He uh, uh, Gabrielle Union was in it, and she had fond memories of in between shooting uh like offset just watching like golden girls reruns with dmx which has to be a very interesting experience mentally to wrap yourself around uh and i and and like him doing nice things for people showing up like at one point he showed up at an ihop in buffalo new york and 
asked to like cook for everyone so they let him behind the counter at the ihop and he made a bunch of omelets for the for the for the place oh my god wait steve he when he's when he made the omelets please tell me he said eggs gonna give it to you i don't think he did Nick. come on dmx it's right didn't there have it's your, literally on the plate he didn't have your sense of showmanship in that respect nick i'm sorry I think that's the only talent um, i possess that he didn't because well i don't know we haven't heard you rap yet nick the reason you haven't is because uh, I know you would keep that audio and then I could never do anything successful in my life because I know that that audio could resurface. Treasure it always. Actually, s- speaking of audio, I believe you had found something, because <laughs> we're going to do this. Oh, yes. You had found something uh, that was relevant to this to, to uh, this topic that we were discussing. Yeah, so after we decided we were going to do this little retrospective i i went back and i did i did my own research and i don't remember nick if if you recall uh, a guest we had about a year or so ago for a valentine's day episode professor withersby ah uh, yes professor professor withersby professor withersby yeah no i didn't really like him i was so glad when you came back ah well that's a little prissy for my I'm taste sh- but you know it's neither here I'm nor sure there i'm sure he i'm sure he isn't hurt by that yeah cuz uh, he's not here well he no, he. Uh, I had, I was chatting with him, and he actually about this episode, and he actually uh, turned me on to a colleague of his, uh, the uh, doctor. Oh, what was his name? Um, ah, yes, Doctor Winston Pendlesmythe. Oh boy. Uh, he was. He's a uh, apparently he's a he's a professor of comparative literature. Uh, in the UK, Steve, and uh, he... I was going to say, we have a lot of UK listeners, and I know that these are obviously real people, but it still feels borderline yes. offensive almost, the names Look, that they it's have. Not, it's not my fault that this is the culture, okay? I'm not, like... There's no British like, look, podcaster it, saying, I consulted an American scholar named Johnny B. Freedom Fries. Named name Cletus Duguid. Uh but, uh, I mean, it, look, that would be absolutely true, Nick, if it wasn't for the fact that these are 100% real human beings yes, 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 of that course, of exist course. in the world. Uh, and he, uh, so he, he told me about him, and I looked him up, and I actually found in the local library, the uh, New York library, a recording of a, a reading he gave. Uh, because he apparently, in his comparative literature, literature course, talks a lot about rap music and its uh, sort of status as like a postmodern poetry of sorts. And he uh, he did a uh, a reading, and I actually found the recording, so I figured we'd play it. Yeah, why not? I'm very interested to hear this. This actual recording. The London Royal Academy of Literature, Lecture Series number 47, Postmodern Poetry, a reading by Professor of Comparative Literature, Dr. Winston Pendlesmythe. <coughs> <coughs> yes, well, uh, apologies. Uh, I'm afraid I'm getting over a touch of pneumonia, <coughs> but I uh, shall not let it deter me from our reading today. Uh, now I shall uh, be reading from the uh, modern poet DMX. X gone give it to you. Fuck waiting for you to get it on your own. X gone deliver it to you. Knock, knock. Open up the door. It's real. 
with the non-stop pop-pop of stainless steel. Go hard getting busy with it, but I've got such a good heart that I'll make the motherfucker wonder if he did it. Damn right, and I'll do it again. Cause I am right, so I've got to win. Break bread with the enemy, but no matter how many cats I break bread with, I'll break who you are sending to me. You motherfuckers never wanted nothing but your life saved, bitch! And that's on a light day. I'm getting down, down like <coughs> oh, pardon me, <coughs> said, freeze, but I won't be the one ending up on his knees. Bitch, please, if the only thing you cats did was come out to play, stay out of my way, motherfucker. Ain't never gave nothing to me, but every time I turn around, cats got their hands out, wanting something from me. I ain't got it, so you can't get it. Let's leave it at that, cause I ain't with it. Hit it with full strength! I'm a jail, <coughs> so I face the world like it's Earl in the bullpen. You against me, me against you, whatever, whenever. <coughs> the fuck you going to do? I am a wolf in sheep's clothing. Only <coughs> that you know who can chill. Come back and get the streets open. I've been doing this for 19 years. <coughs> Want to fight me? Fight these tears. I put in work. And it's all for the kids. But these cats done forgot what work is. They don't know who we be looking. But they don't know who they see. <coughs> Thank you. Thank you. Man, that really sucked for him trying to do all that with, you know, getting over pneumonia like that. Yeah, but yeah, he, that, he that, that, that cough was, that cough sounded as bad as it sounded strategic. I can't can't imagine what, I understand what you're talking about there, Nick. No, 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 I'll, no I'll, so I'll certainly didn't say to... there's a cough every time, like, oh, I don't know, this, this, this fairy, this fairy, um, well, I don't want to assume this was a extremely white British person, but, uh. 
but uh, I hope I, I hope he was feeling I hope he was feeling better by the end of that recording. Me too. He sounded like an old guy. Yes, yes. I, when you check this out from the library, were you able to see when it was recorded? I mean, I'm assuming post uh, nineteen what ninety nine. Oh no, two two thousand three, two thousand three. Yeah, I was gonna say it's the early aughts. Yes, which is really weird considering the recording uh, quality. Yeah, it seemed but... to be recorded on like an eight track. Yeah. Interesting. Well, go figure. Well, you know, technology doesn't make it overseas sometimes as quickly as we think it does. Uh, but thank you so much for digging that up uh, from 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 the New York Public Library. Yeah, it's crazy what you find there. Get a library card, kids. Yes, yes. That if there's truly been a moral to our podcast, I feel like that that's been it. Well, Steve, I I'm curious if if uh, if we threaded that needle of in relatively good taste, covering a little bit of the life and some of the highlights of one DMX. Uh, because I truly, I, he was an influential, very important to not just hip hop and rap, but just kind of to you know popular culture as a whole, and uh, and like I I I felt something, I, like I, I I felt something tangible when he died. Um, I don't want to say yeah. I, I don't want to say this to sound this might sound bad, but when he first overdosed. Like the fact that it ended up taking him essentially a week to pass was awful, I'm sure, for his family. But psychologically, it wasn't sudden. So, like, I was kind of spending the next few days thinking, okay, there's a chance that he might not make this. So it gave me some time to start, like, grieving it almost. I mean, after, after I, I mean, he was in his 50s. So, like, after, well, you know, the, the life takes a toll on you. Yeah. And, uh, it's, or so, like I would fucking know, or so I, so I've been told. Uh, but it, it, when when it happened, and the uh, like ten twenty minutes later, it was like the, the the news like he oh and now he's you know unresponsive or he's lapsed into a you know into a coma. I I thought oh well no that's you know statistically speaking that's not a thing you come back from if you've had you know a number of these types of overdosing events and it wears on your body after a while and you know once you go down that path physically it's very hard for you to come back from it so like once i had heard that i was kind of like all right well i i'm pretty sure this will not end with like a miracle but uh it was still yeah and and you know lots of musicians die but I, I felt that since this was, he had, he was a part of the show's original DNA that it might behoove us to have an episode where we, we talk a bit about it. Um, and I certainly hope we didn't come across as crass as we usually do. Um, but please let us know if we did. The song tops report at gmail.com. And also, I suppose while we're plugging that stuff, it almost feels in bad taste to to plug where you can find us on this in memoriam episode it sure does nick yeah uh you know what you've listened to previous episodes you know where to find us um and because mike's not here for the poll you know if you just want to let us know uh your favorite dmx song uh we'll 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 post a poll and you can just let us know um because we talked about a few of his songs but if we uh his his lyrics are so colorful sometimes or oh what I was going to say, or if you want, maybe we'll do a poll of your favorite DMX adjacent, like popular culture, like the because we played a lot of different uses of his music that isn't just listening to his music. Oh yeah, no. If you if you have a preferred DMX mashup, please also pass that along. Um, 
And I don't because we love listening to them. <laughs> to be honest, we do. They bring so much joy to my life. Uh, and Steve, did you have anything else? That, did you want to shamelessly plug yourself before we left? Ah, gosh. I mean, this is the first episode that we did not time this well. This is the first episode to come out after show about coworkers did. Oh yes. So, oh yeah. You know, we, uh, we, we should drop a link in uh, on the song tops to Instagram. You should follow Dapper Devil Productions on Instagram as well, our parent company. Um, but. Please check out check out DebraDevilProductions.com to see Steve act in a show about coworkers, which I edited and made him show look so good. Show about coworkers, exactly, and written uh, written and uh, directed. Ian directed. Yes, Ian wrote and Ian directed. directed yes. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Oh man, you think you think I was Professor Winston Pendles my uh, from the way I'm coughing. Uh, the yeah, written and directed by Ian and. Uh, yes, we're all very thankful for him to, or I'm very thankful for him to uh, think to have me in it. Yes, yes, it was a long time coming. Uh, only a about a fourth of that was my fault. We filmed it way before the pandemic. It's getting it's getting less and less your fault the more we bring it up because this is like the third episode where the past two episodes it wasn't out yet, so we teased it, and each time you were like, "It's it was like three quarters my fault. It was fifty percent my fault." It was one quarter my fault. Look, there were a lot by of next factors week, in play. Be like, a meteor f- <laughs> by next week, you'll be like, a meteor fell from Earth and destroyed our sound equipment. Look, when you have to get ADR and then some people move out of the city because of the pandemic, it's there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of factors. But uh, everyone was great in it. I don't want to, I don't, wanna, I don't. Oh, is, if the option is to either blame myself or blame other people, I always make myself take the blame. But, um, but. Long story short, I'm just so glad it's out. Uh, so check that out if you have not done so already. Uh, and I suppose, you know, because Mike's not here, I'll make him be a jerk and I'll shamelessly plug his channel uh, at, uh, well, not his channel, his social media at MrMikeRussell.com. That's MrMR.DOT, also on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And uh, yeah, like Nick said, don't don't plug don't plug Mike's content, Nick. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um <laughs> I'm not doing a mic impression when he's not here. <laughs> yes, I'm just having a slight mental That's break. That's disrespectful. Yes, yes, yes. We made it this far without being blatantly disrespectful. I won't disrespect Mike that way. Um, but that is it for our first, hopefully only. I, I, I Obviously, I don't want to do like an in-memoriam episode very often. But if we made it 171 episodes without doing one up until now, then I suppose that's acceptable. But uh, but thank you for joining us. I hope I hope you were able to maybe learn a little bit more about DMX that you may not have known before. Uh, and until next week, I'm Nick Bradier. And I'm Stephen Trollinger, Rough Rider. And we will see you next week. Take care.